let's welcome the men and women in Hart, Chesterfield County Jail. Love you. Scott's Edition, love you guys. Thank you so much. You can be seated. Well, good morning, everybody. How are you? Glad to have you here. We're in a series called Overcoming. You're going to love it. I'll tell you about that in a second, but I want to look in the camera and say good morning to everybody online. I also want to say good morning to Scott's Edition. Today is a really exciting day at the chapel in Richmond and Scott's Edition. They are going from one morning worship service to two. So I want to say good morning, 1115 at Scott's Edition. And uh, we heard incredible service at 930, incredible worship and, and just time together. And we're glad to start a new era there at the chapel in Richmond and be two morning worship services, more chance to bring people, reach people in the fastest growing part of, of Richmond. Uh, Scott's Edition, you go there, there's condos and restaurants and breweries, which I know you don't know anything about. But uh, And so we're excited to be right there in the middle of the city and uh, preaching the gospel, making disciples, building God's church. So love you guys there. So excited about what God is doing there. And uh, it's a good day to be in church. I just want to say we just finished 21 days of prayer. And uh, what an incredible time we had. We ended. We always end with these Saturday 9 a.m. prayer times. You got to come. They're really special. Just a sense of God's presence. But I just want to thank you for being a church that comes out and prays every day, 7 a.m., Monday to Friday, and Saturdays at 9. And I have faith for this next year, not just because of the vision we have, but because we prayed prayers and planted seed in the soil of God's providence. How many believe God hears prayers and God answers prayers, right? And so we're so excited about that. Thank you. Honestly, nothing warms my heart more than a church that prays and you, you blew us away this year. And so if you weren't part of that, don't worry. We do this twice a year and we'll be at it again in August. So we do two uh, uh, concert weeks of prayer, uh, three, three weeks each. And so you can be a part of that. Well, we're in a series called Overcoming. And a couple weeks ago, we looked at the fact that God puts burdens on people's hearts and and that God can take our hearts and we can see the brokenness around us and he can give us a burden for it. And God can raise broken things and rebuild them. How many are thankful God can rebuild broken things, aren't you? Like in our lives, in our city and in our community. And so we believe in that. And then we looked at how uh, Nehemiah 2, how we could put a plan together. And then, man, we had an incredible message last week about how uh, how whenever we step out to do something for God, there's always some critics that speak out loud and we learned last week to listen to the voice of God and make that louder in our life than the critics and what a great message we, we had and this week we're going to talk about how to get unstuck and get started I don't know if you know this but in order to accomplish something in life you have to start I don't know if you know this, but in order to finish something in life, you have to start it. Come on. I don't know if any of you got some books laying around. I got a bunch in my office that I've started and have not finished. Anybody got that? Anybody got an exercise bike that you use to kind of hold clothes? Come on. And uh, like, so we, we all know what it's like to start something and not finish something. And so, uh, in fact, probably all of us have experienced in COVID this danger of kind of getting stuck in a season that we didn't plan on getting stuck in. And uh, I want to talk to you today about how to get unstuck. Okay, and how make progress. I was thinking of this concept of getting unstuck. I was thinking of an experience in high school. Um, Katie and I went to the same high school, and there was a guy in our school. His name was Matt Barkley, and he was kind of a wise guy. 
um, and he was messing around one day and he was, he was standing behind the door and the, the, this, the um, classroom door was a wood door, but it had a, had a glass top, like window in the top that you could see through. And he was behind the door and he pulled it forward. And in trying to push it forward, the door stop dropped and it, and it bent underneath the door and he was uh, wedged, he was confined, trapped behind the door. And it was just hilarious because he was standing there trapped behind the door, but you could see his whole face and chest just like through the window. And I remember the teacher was like, well, we're going to move on with class. We'll get, we'll call the maintenance and they'll come and open the door. But for now we're going to teach class. But he's just standing there. It was like the greatest thing. And I was like, you may think we're going to teach class, but I feel like we're not because Matt's caught behind the door. And, uh, and the, the finally maintenance came. They had to take the hinges off. It was an amazing thing. But I, I, just, I had this image that some of us are kind of stuck there. and We kind of wish we weren't. We hope we aren't. We didn't plan on getting stuck in this area of our life or staying here too long. And I just wonder if God's going to help us get unstuck today. Is that okay? God's going to help us get unstuck today and uh because here's the truth in life we we have to make progress you can't build a reputation on what you're going to do okay so i'm going to talk to you today about how do you get going how do you build inertia how do you build momentum in life how do you make progress in what god has for us and we're going to be actually in nehemiah chapter three if you have a bible we're going to unpack this chapter and i have to tell you i I just preach your preach your confession if it's okay today i thought of skipping this chapter this week because it's one of those chapters where when you read it, it's just got a list of names. And if you've ever tried to read through the Bible, you know what it's like to come across a chapter with just a list of names. And there are a few of you that are so spiritual. You just love it. You're like, mm, Jedediah, son of Shechem. Amen. Yeah. But how many would admit you've ever hit one of those chapters and it's tough, right? And, uh, and, and that's what I had to, this week was just a whole... I thought no one will even mind if I skip chapter three. And then I thought of a verse, Second Timothy three sixteen, that says all scriptures God breathed and useful for teaching, correcting, and training in righteousness, that the people of God might be fully equipped for everything God's called them to. And so I decided to take on a chapter that's just full of names, but really because I wanted to make this point this weekend that we believe that all scripture is written and inspired by God. And the reason I think that's important to say as a church is a lot of churches are wandering away from the Bible. And, 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 and I want, you might think, well, the chapel's ministry is modern, so their theology is modern. Just so you know, our, our ministry style might be modern, but our theology is ancient. It's rooted in God's word. You're in a church that believes in the Bible. So we, uh, we believe in the whole deal. If you wonder what kind of church you're in, you're in a Bible church. Church that believes the Bible, that we're not trying to change it and squish it and, and rearrange it and make it say different things. We're just going to be a church that preaches God's word. And how many know if you and I disagree with God's word, either his word has to change or we have to change. Around here we say we have to change, his word doesn't change. So, so just so you know, we're in a church that believes in the Bible. Can I get a big amen to that today? Church that believes in the Bible. So, Okay, so here's what the Bible feels like this week. The fish gate was rebuilt by the sons of this guy. They laid its beams and put its doors and bolts and bars in place. And this guy, son of this guy, 
son of this guy repaired the next section. Next to him, this guy, son of this guy, the son of this guy made repairs. And next to him, this guy, son of this guy also made repairs. And the next section was repaired by the men of Tekoa. Wasn't that encouraging? No, but I want to show you how much God's word has to speak to us. Because out of this list of names, I I see five things that's going to help us start to make progress in our faith, okay? Get unstuck, right? As they start to rebuild the walls, God's going to help us rebuild some things. and They'll help our lives. I really believe that. Just write this down for your life and mine. Here's the first thing I see that starting requires, come on, requires what? Vision. We have to decide that where we are is not okay. We have to decide that what, what the situation is. We have to, they say that uh, leaders assess and define reality. Here's where we are, but this isn't where God wants us to be. And so starting requires vision. It requires progress. And that's what the book of Nehemiah is about. We saw it last week that these walls have sat um, crumbled for 100 years, 150 years. And the people have accepted things the way they are, but that's not the way they should be. And so Nehemiah assembles them and casts vision that they're going to rebuild the walls and in fact there are so many gates listed in the in the text there's the fish gate and the sheep gate there's actually a thing called the dung gate the dung gate katie asked me what's the dung gate and i said well it's kind of what it sounds like the fish gate they brought fish into the city the sheep gate they traveled with sheep and the dung gate is like the porta potty gate right in fact, you know, these, the wall that Nehemiah built, I actually show you the dung gate. This is an actual picture of it today, okay? It's still, if we were to travel to the Holy Land today, we could see the actual walls with the gates that, that are there in place. This is not a magical story. This is a, a reality, a historical story. Uh, and the whole chapter, Nehemiah chapter 3, says this phrase 31 times. And next to them was this person building the wall and next to them was this person building the wall and next to them was these people building the wall and next to them were these because they had all caught a vision to rebuild the wall together and nehemiah is actually an incredible leader there are so many leadership principles in the book of nehemiah you see he wasn't a preacher he was a cupbearer he was just a business person and i wanted to remind you today that jesus likes to use not just preachers he likes to use business people too come on how many know all of our work is sacred when we give it to God, right? And Nehemiah is used of God to rebuild these walls. And he has an incredible leadership strategy that he assigns people to the wall that's near their house. Isn't that clever? He's like, let me tell you how I know you'll build the wall good. I'll put it near where you live. <laughs> I mean, I know you'd, you'd build it good wherever, but you'd build it extra good if it's the part of your wall that separates your family and protects your family and makes you less vulnerable. So he assigns the task and together they catch a vision that this broken walls can be built again and they catch a vision for what God has for them. And, and I, I just wanna remind you as a church, we're, we're entering into a season where we're gonna recast some vision. So would you write down these dates today? Over the next week, we wanna have everybody that can be a part of one of these dates. One of these uh, five dates come out for vision nights. So they're gonna start in Midlothian Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Monday night, and then in Scott's edition on Sunday night. And these are going to be nights where we're just going to share the vision of where God's leading us as a church over the next 24 months. And then we're going to begin to roll it out in March 
church wide and, and God's gonna, gonna really lead us and go ahead of us and help us. And if you're new around here, you need to know that our vision is really simple. We, we wanna do three things. We wanna help people come to know God through Jesus. And we wanna help people uh, work through their issues in life, find freedom and make a difference. Know God, find freedom, make a difference. Come on, say it with me. What do we wanna help people do? We want them to what? Know God and find and make a difference. Know God, here's what we mean. We want people everywhere to know Jesus and trust him. I want you to know just in Midlothian at 930 service, 14 people gave their lives to Jesus Christ just two hours ago. I mean, how incredible is that? We're still getting reports from Scott's edition online and Chesterfield County Jail, but we want that's our greatest joy as a church to reach people. Come on, people are our heart, right? And we want to help people know God. But then once you come to Jesus, how many know you got some issues? I know. Come on. Anybody got issues? Anybody sitting next to somebody who's got some issues? Come on. So we got to work. All right, Jesus has saved us, but I still got these problems. This is why we call them small groups. In fact, we're launching them today. We're having trainings right after this service for people to launch a few more small groups. And we want to see everyone connected in groups because it's in groups that God helps change our life and transform them and put them back together. We call that find freedom where God takes us and not only saves us, but he helps transform us on the inside. And then we want to help people make a difference, not just make a dollar. Nobody at the end of their life is going to say, I wish I would have work one more hour my life would be worth it no we want we want to do more than just make a dollar we want to make a difference live our lives for what really matters right and so and so we nehemiah has a vision and he gathers the people together and he says the walls don't have to stay this way and as he casts that vision they come together and they dream that things can get better and they actually start by they gather even the pastor's work at, at, at construction how many know that's when you got a real project going on the pastors are swinging hammers right the high priest and his fellow priests went to work and they rebuilt the sheep gate, which is probably where the sacrifices came in and out. And that's why they assigned the priest to it. They dedicated it and set its doors in place, building as far as the tower of the hundred, which they dedicated. Here's the second thing. Just write it down because it helps us get unstuck and move forward. Starting requires us not only to have vision, but to break the project in pieces. How many know you, you can't do everything at once? And I'm convinced some of the problem with us doing nothing is we're, we're, we're afraid to do something if we can't do everything. And so we think, unless I can do everything, I'm going to do nothing. So in, because I can't do everything, I'm going to do nothing. So I'm going to do nothing. But I really want to do everything. But how many know before you can do everything, you have to do something? This is deep preaching, isn't it today, right? So you go through chapter three and it's amazing. This wall is, is uh, divided up in 42 sections. You, you read the chapter in a counterclockwise direction and they have 10 gates that are being built as entry points in and out of the city. And there are 41 different teams or parties of people that actually have, the, they've divided the project up in 41 different pieces. And everybody's not building the whole thing, but everybody's building something. Everybody's at work doing a piece of the project so that the whole thing can happen, right? They're all coming together. They're, 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 they're taking steps to do something. My father-in-law used to say, how can you eat an elephant one bite at a time, right? Like in order to get something done, you have to start doing something. And together, they, they accomplish God's will. This is why we, we do growth track. It's next week, but... Um, growth track is not our attempt to volunteer, to get people to volunteer in the church. In fact, 
We never ask people to volunteer anywhere except where they're gifted. I've been a part of a church where it says everybody's going to be in the nursery a week because we need more nursery workers. So even the people that don't like kids, you're going to go be with the kids. And here's the great news. Some of you should not be with the kids because you don't like them. Can I tell you something? They don't like you. Some of you have kids and don't like them, but we have a group for that. But here's the point. We want to all just find our sweet spot, find our calling, find our ability. All of us called of God, finding our place together, breaking projects up in chunks. And I think that's true in our lives. If we're going to make progress, we have to just start new habits and move forward and things. And that's what happens at the very beginning. They just start moving forward. The high priest and the other priests, they say, we're just going to do something. We're going to start rebuilding the sheep gate. They don't have endless meetings and strategy and 20-year plans. Have you ever met somebody that always has an idea but they don't do anything about it you ever met somebody they're going to take over the whole world but they do nothing they do nothing but they have the answer why everybody should do everything and they're going to do something great the older i get the more i appreciate not only dreamers but people that are doers people that not only dream great dreams but people that do something about it because this is so true in life starting requires us to get started somewhere They just gather people together and they're like, we're going to start rebuilding this wall. One piece by one piece by one piece. We're all going to take a spot and we're going to start moving on it. And that's the amazing thing about chapter three. They all get busy working and God begins to give grace and strength and favor in that situation. And they begin to rebuild the walls. And that's true of us. When we find our place, we can make progress too. John Maxwell tells a story. He's He's a big leadership teacher of He taught a whole day of leadership and a young guy came up to him after the day and said, I want to do what you do. And he said, what do you you mean Uh, you want to do what I do? And he said, I want to teach leadership and have people pay to come listen to me and I want to write books and I want to do what you do. (laughs) And John Maxwell said, well, if you want to do what I do, do you you want to did what I did? And the guy said, I don't know what you did. He said, well, I know you want to do what I do, but did you want to did what I did? What I did, I just started a group on Tuesday mornings real early with with men over coffee, 6 a.m., and we'd talk leadership and pray together. And the guy said, I don't like getting up early at 6 a.m. John Maxwell said, the problem is you want to do what I do, but you don't want to did what I did. How many know a lot of people want it finished if it doesn't require any work? Come on. Chapter one is full of of prayer. And listen, we are full of prayer. But listen, I want to say this. Not only should we be full of prayer, we should be full of giving our best to the glory of God in everything we do. Nehemiah not only waits on God, he works for God. Nehemiah not only prays, but he produces. He has a sense of of forward motion. And he gathers the people together. And he says, we're all going to start somewhere and God's going to work. Look at this. Mark Batterson says, in my experience, signs follow decisions. The way you overcome spiritual inertia and produce spiritual momentum is by making tough decisions. The primary reason most of us don't see God moving is because we aren't moving. The primary reason many of us don't see God moving is because we aren't moving. And if you want to see God move, you have to make a move. As I was reading scripture, I was realizing how many times does God tell somebody to move and then he moves? The priests stand at the edge of the water and he says, reach out your feet over this and the water will part. Now, wouldn't it be better for God to just say, I'm going to move the water and then you can walk, right? 
But he doesn't. He says, wait, he says, take the first step and then I'll move. And oh, so many times in scripture, Jesus tells the lepers that as they have this incurable illness, go show yourself to the priests. And the Bible says, as they are going, they are healed. <laughs> How many know there's an act of faith and moving towards God for God to move towards us, right? And some of us have been waiting too long, hanging out too long, saying, God, if you would just do it all, I'd be happy to get involved in it all. But how many know God's calling some of us to take acts of faith so that he can show up in our lives, right? And Nehemiah says, we've been talking about it for a long time. We know these walls need to get rebuilt. We need to move on them. But what's amazing is not only were there people working for the rebuilding of the wall, the Bible says there were people that were not working too. Do you know it's true that not everyone wants to change? Do you know some people want to stay exactly where they are, right? In fact, let me ask you a question. Uh, Somebody said, if you look at your life five years ago, you should always be discouraged because you should have grown further than where you are back then. Meaning if you ever look at yourself back then and you're like, wow, I had it all together, then you probably didn't grow to where you are now, right? In fact, at the end of 21 days of prayer, I was reading through the uh, Paul's prayers in, in the epistles, and I, I was finishing up Ephesians 3, and I came across those famous verses that God wants to do exceedingly abundantly above all that I could ask or think or imagine. And I started to think to myself, Brandon, do you think God's done with your family, or do you think God has more for your family? And I thought, God has more for my family. Do I think my, my marriage has arrived, or does God have more for my marriage? He has more. Does God think the chapel's arrived? He has more. And I just had this sense of like, God, I'm open to the more you want to do in my life and in our church. Anybody in this room in Scott's edition, anybody open to the more God wants to do in our lives, right? Nehemiah says it, can't, it, can, it doesn't have to stay this way, broken. Let's move forward. But there were people, there were nobles that would not put their shoulders to work under their... I mean, there were people who were just good with the way it was. They didn't want to make progress. But God is a God of more. How many know that's true? God is a God of more, right? So I want to challenge you on this point. Is that okay today? Come on, nudge a person next to you and tell them I'm going to step on their toes. Come on, tell them that, Okay. Here we go. Come on, Scots. Here, here, here's what happened. Some of them wanted to work. Some didn't. And in order to start things in life, starting requires that we confront our excuses. How many know we make some excuses in life? Oh, you don't understand. I can't because no. Mm-hmm. In fact, I want to show you one of my favorite verses in the Bible. And it's a funny one. Okay, it's a funny verse. Okay. And if you, you, I think you'll see humor in it. Proverbs says, the sluggard says, there's a lion outside. I'll be killed in the public square. I can't go. There's a lion outside. <laughs> Isn't that so funny? Here, now, is it true that in the ancient world there could be a lion outside? Sure. But this, Proverbs is not saying that he really should be cautious. He's saying it's because he's too lazy, so he's finding an excuse. You know, it could be, if I leave my house today, there's a chance I'll get hit by lightning. How many know that's true? Okay, but if you don't go to work today, you're going to be broke for sure, right? There's a lion outside. In fact, I thought we could start a new tradition at the chapel. When somebody's making an excuse, let's just yell out. There's a lion outside. Oh, no, 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 right? Guys, Valentine's Day is in two weeks, and you need to plan something 
good for your wife. I mean, you need to step it up a little. But, you know, if you take her someplace, you know it's possible on the way you get out of the car and you're on the way into the restaurant and you plan something nice, you know what could get you right in the, in the parking lot? There's a lion outside, I just kill you right on the way into Valentine's, right? You say, I'm supposed to go to the gym, but you know what might kill you right in the parking lot outside the gym? There could be a lion outside. There's a lion outside. Come on, just say it with me. There's what? There's a lion outside. Oh, I don't know if I could do that. There's a lion outside. I need to get involved in serving in the church. No, 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 because there's a lion outside. I should come to 7 a.m. prayer during 21 days of prayer. Yeah, but when I get in my car at 6.30 and it's real dark in my driveway, and you know what could be in the bushes? It could be a lion outside right in my bushes. Proverbs says what, what the slugger does is he comes up with a whole mess of excuses as to why it can't work. I can't, I can't give my best. I can't work hard. I can't get up. I can't be disciplined because there might be a what? Come on, there might be a, there's a line outside. We're going to start that around here. Does that work? From now on, somebody makes an excuse. We're going to just say, there's a line outside. Okay, so practice it. Turn to the person next to you and just tell them. You got to do it with a little attitude. Come on, say, there's a line outside. Come on, tell them it. Lying outside. Do you know, uh, sociologists tell us 25% of Americans are procrastinators. And I'd ask you to raise your hand, but you won't do it till next week. So here's, here's what procrastination is. It's the art of keeping up with yesterday. I'm crushing where I should have been back then. You know what? I procrastinate all the time with, with maintenance on my car. <laughs> In fact, I, I let Joel drive my car the other day. We were riding together somewhere. And he said to me, how many lights are on on your dashboard? <laughs> and I said, well, it, it just kind of illuminates me. And, and I don't think it's a problem because none of them really yell at me. Meaning I wait for there to be a noise. Like, <laughs> so if it just lights up, I'm like, it can't be that serious. I mean, no, I should change that, right? I should just change it. Some of us have been, some of us have been procrastinating in our spiritual life and, and what God's called us to. And I'm here to challenge us today. Let's stop making excuses. We can't make progress unless we start. And I think one of the biggest excuses we make is if I can't do everything, I'm not going to do anything. But how many know direction is more important than perfection? And if you wait till you can get it all perfect, sometimes you'll do nothing. Have you ever talked to somebody, they're just going to do it all just perfect, but they don't do anything. Nehemiah is like, everybody, let's get to a spot in the wall and let's get to rebuilding because God wants us to get moving, create momentum, create inertia, get going somewhere for all that he has for us. And so when you make a list, you, it's incredible to see the list of who was working. Next to them were repairs made by the men from Gibeon. Places under the authority of the governor of the trans-Euphrates. Look who is working on the wall. One of the who? Goldsmiths. You think they know a lot about concrete? I don't. But I don't know much about goldsmiths. But goldsmiths repaired the next section. Look at this. <laughs> One of the perfume makers made repairs next to that. They restored Jerusalem. If you're a perfume maker, I don't mean to be offensive Although I would love to know what a perfume maker is. But how many would think perfume makers, like they're like, I make Dolce & Gabbana. And they're like, sorry, get a hammer. Like, you got the goldsmiths. You got the perfume maker. I mean, they're all in on this. Look at this. 
rulers of the half district of Jerusalem, they're there. Hey, you're, I'm in charge. No, you, it's time to work. All of us are involved in this. Hey, and the next section was built with the help of his daughters. Preach. I'm going to say something to everybody under the age of 25, and you're going to receive it. I know. There are moments to put down your cell phone. I'll be here all day. One of the things I love, one of the things I love in Scott's edition and the chapel, one of the things I love about this church is this church is made up of people that serve at every age. I don't know if you know this, but every weekend it takes a couple hundred people to serve to make all the services happen. And I want you to know, older people serve, middle-aged people serve, and younger people serve. And they serve in kids and students and worship and coffee and park. I mean, they serve everywhere. And so I just want to pause for a second this weekend and honor uh, the, the generations below me and say, this is not the church of just your parents or your grandparents. This is your church. And we honor you this weekend for being a part of serving on the wall. Come on, chapel. Let's honor them. He says, listen, not only are we going to build the wall, the daughters are going to, like everybody's going to get on this. In order to see built what needs to be built, just write this down. We, starting requires teamwork. How many know we need one another, right? The wall wasn't built because of Nehemiah's effort. The wall was built by Nehemiah's vision and everybody taking their place on the wall and saying, we're all going to do a piece of this and God's going to build it all because we all are going to find our God-given place and God's going to raise it up. And that's what Nehemiah starts. He starts leading the train of of people and they all together start to find their place and God starts to rebuild it. Man, there's nothing like what God's doing in the life of our church right now. And we're in a season, we're in a season where God's just raising people up and people are finding their place. In fact, the other day, we, we, you know, we added a 4.30 service, we're in the second service in Scott's edition. So we'll have six weekend services and to have people serving and kids and hospitality and worship. We had a team in 21 days of prayer. The prayer started at seven. You know, our worship production team showed up at 545. Hey, five, four, hey, five. Somebody better say amen in this room for 545. People just took their place on the wall. Said, I'm going to do my thing. The other day, about a month ago, I was talking to a pastor and I didn't even know what to say. Talking about the pressure on the local church. And in fact, it happened at the very end of prayer that one of the leaders in our prayer ministry here said, I felt like I have a verse, a vision, a prophecy for the church. From Matthew 16, Jesus said, I'll build my church in the gates of Hades. Gates of hell won't prevail against it. So I had this picture that the church is to be on the offensive and what he didn't know is that as a staff all last week that was a theme verse for our staff that jesus was going to build his church it's this picture the gates of hell meaning you don't reach the gate of something unless you're moving up on something does that make sense so jesus says the gates of hell won't prevail against the church but but gates don't move towards you to get to gates you have to move towards gates and so jesus is picturing a church that isn't static or not moving. Jesus is not picturing a church that says, when the whole world gets fixed, then we'll start moving again. Jesus is picturing a church that's on the offensive. How many know a church that's on the offensive, right? 
And we were praying about this and thinking about this. I was talking to a pastor about a month ago. He said, I don't know if in-person church, people come to church. I don't know if in-person church, and we're thankful for online. People have medical concerns. And come on, we honor online. Come on, somebody, we honor online. Like it's not. But he said, I don't know if people are ever coming back to church. Is that how you feel? And I don't know what to say because I don't want to be the guy that's like, no, we're fine. But I was like, yeah. He's like, maybe it's not, maybe it's just, maybe the church, maybe it isn't going to be a church. Maybe it's different. Maybe it's just. And it got me thinking that night of like, what has the church overcome? Jesus said he'd build his church. So my mind just started rehearsing the last 2,000 years of the church. And how many times Jesus built his church in bad times. And I started thinking of the Middle Ages when it was dark in the church and there was no, in fact, William Tyndale decided he would translate the Bible into a language people could read. I don't know if you know this, in the Middle Ages, they didn't even have the Bible in the language of the people. It was so the corrupt religious leaders could control people and not have the Bible. And Tyndale said, that's not right. We're gonna translate the Bible into the language of the people. And this made the religious elites and the government angry. And so they actually, he stood trial and they said to him, we forbid you to, to translate the Bible. And he said, as long as I shall live, I will translate the Bible so that the boy plowing in the field shall know more of scripture than you, sir. He said to the man, boom. (laughs) He's eventually killed for his faith. And yet, you know what happened? Martin Luther came along. He penned some theses, put them on a door. The Gutenberg printing press was invented. And all of a sudden the gospel was not only, the Bible was not only translated in the language of the people, the printing press dispersed it and the local church went from death to life. People began to get saved because they had the Bible in their language, right? I began to think of uh, Voltaire, the French infidel, who at the height of the Enlightenment, he said that no one was going to believe the fabled stories of the Bible anymore. And he actually said, he made this prediction, within a hundred years of my life, the only place you're ever going to find a Bible will be in a museum. Christianity will be dead for culture is too sophisticated for it. And you know what the amazing thing is? When Voltaire died, the Geneva Bible Society bought his house and set up a printing press in his living room and printed scripture from his living room. I mean, Time magazine just 60 years ago printed, is God dead on the cover? Maybe the culture's moving on and people, people everywhere have said it can't happen. Can it happen? Where can it happen? You know what? In Iran is one of the the fastest growing churches in the world is in, is in, is in an oppressive government in, in, in in Islamic country in Iran and the gospel's growing there. In China, the communist nation where the church is forced to meet underground in small little networks of churches all over the ground. Just so you know, the West, the church, America isn't even where the most Christians are. It's in China where despite not being able to gather in large groups, they're scattered in small groups and the strong and gospel uh, rich uh, truth of Jesus, even though the news can't tell you and they try to oppress it, the gospel's growing in Iran and in China. Why? Because even in moments of darkness, the gospel will be built, right? So I want to tell you something, whether it's Islamic extremism or it's cynical college professors, or it's people say, I don't know if I can come back in person because of COVID. I want you to know this, Jesus is promising to build his church. And he said, the gates of hell 
cannot prevail against it. And the challenge for us as a church is to be a church on the offensive, okay? I think a scared world needs a strong church. There needs to be a place in Richmond, Virginia, where people say there's still a gospel that saves and heals and delivers and restores and the message of Jesus can change and our kids don't have to head this way and the future doesn't have to be that way and there's such confusion in every, in every single arena of life. But oh, what if there would be a group of people that would say, we still believe that when God's people gather and they worship with passion and they open his word and teach with truth, that God meets his people there what if there was still a group of people that believed that jesus was building his church come on somebody like jesus is building his church and what if nehemiah with his 41 different teams of people and in 52 days they rebuilt a wall and oh to see what god's going to rebuild in lives and marriages and broken listen there's heartache and there's pain and there's sickness and there's brokenness but guess what the best of ministry sometimes happens in the worst of times. The light shines the brightest in the darkest, right? You put a little candle in a dark, dark room, and woo, there's, there, because it's, it's light, it's power, it's hope. And Nehemiah leads and people rebuild. Don't you want to see that? Don't you feel that in our midst, right? Jesus building his church. Jesus restoring his people. Jesus invites us to get on the wall and to stop getting stuck and say, I'm gonna be a part, I'm gonna be a part of it together. That means together. That means we need one another. I know the local church is broken. All of us are broken. How many know that's true, right? How many know there's no perfect churches, right? How many know the pastor's wife and even some of the other team here, they have problems, but here's the point. point is together with the grace of God and the message of Jesus, the power of the Holy Spirit. Oh, what could God do with a people that just believe? I mean, I guess we could just huddle in and sing Kumbaya and think that that's all that there is. But there's a sense of growing expectancy in our hearts that the Lord has more for us and that he's going to assemble a whole bunch of us on all the different spots of the wall. And he's going to build something for his glory and his namesake and your family, my family, our city, for the glory of God. Amen. Amen. Would you bow with me? Would you bow with me all over this room? In a second, I'll turn it over to Scott's edition. But in Chesterfield County Jail and in Richmond Online and Midlothian, if you're here today, the story of the Bible is that before Jesus even invites us onto the wall, he invites to come. He invites us to come with our brokenness to him. So I won't drag it out. But I do want to know, maybe there's somebody here today you don't have a relationship with God or maybe you've wandered far away from him and today you need to come home and rededicate your life to God. Nobody's looking around. I won't embarrass you, but I'd love to pray for you today. You say, Pastor, I'm not sure my life is right with Jesus. Would you pray for me today? Today I mean business. I need to get get this thing right. Would you pray for me today? Just hold your hand up, put it right back down. By putting it up, you're saying, pray for me. Yes. Are there others? Yes. Are there others? Just raise your hand and say, pastor, pray for me. Yep. Yep. Yes. 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 Thank you, ma'am. Yes. Thank you, sir. Anybody else just pray for me, pastor. I'm not sure. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you, buddy. Thank you. Anybody else just pray for me, pastor. I'm not certain where I'm at. With God, one last time, not to be emotional, I just want to give 
space. Maybe God's speaking. Yeah, thank you. Right where you're seated, the story of the Bible isn't that we were good enough, but he was. So he gave his life for us. So you just pray a prayer like this online. It's God's edition in the room here. Jesus, thank you for coming to this earth. For stepping out of heaven because you love me so much. So today I confess my sin. I repent of it. Which just means, Jesus, I'm turning away from myself. And I'm turning my life towards you. I believe you died on a cross. And on the third day rose from the dead. To forgive my sin. So I confess my sin to you. I believe you have a hope for me in a future. So today I make you my Lord and the Savior of my life. Would you come into my life and change me? And would you, God, by your grace, give me the strength to follow you all the days of my life? My life is yours, Jesus. I give it whole thing to you. Every single bit of it. I'm yours, Jesus. So give me a new start today before we pray it. In Jesus' name, amen. People prayed that in the prison and online and in Scott's edition. And I don't even know how many here today. But man, we're, we just want to say welcome to the family of God. The greatest decision you can make is to follow Jesus with all your heart. So we honor you today. Hey, would you do this? And I'm going to turn it over to Scott's edition in just a second. But you got a connect card on the way in. You could just say, I gave my life to Jesus or rededicated or... You can email us. We just want to email you and help you know what the next steps are for you to grow in your faith. That's why we exist as a church. Just help you take your next steps and grow in your faith. You can email us or fill that card out, drop it off at next step. We just want to help you grow in your faith. Well, as we close in prayer today, how many would admit there's at least one area of your life that's stuck? And for this one, every head up and every eye opened. Come on. And you say today, I want God to help me get unstuck in that area. Come on and make some progress. Would you stand all over this room? And that bunch of us raised our hand. Just hold your hand up like this if that's you today. So God, some of us are stuck in areas today that we know you have better for us and more for us. And so God, we lift a hand to say, God, you have permission to help us uh, stop making excuses. Stop being where we are and move towards what you have for us. We surrender. We lay down things that need to go. Jesus, we point our affection, our attention towards you and what you have for us today. We love you, Jesus. We build our life on your love and your grace, your mercy.